If a fucking finance firm called Citadel is making billions of dollars off your revolution, it's not going super great, I don't think. Okay, here's here's what I remember from the Robin Hood movies that I've seen. Is it starts with a few little guys teaming up against a big guy, and amongst those little guys, uh, some of the little guys are like BlackRock, other hedge funds, uh, other weird <laughs> dudes living in like $9,000 apartments in New York with a bed on the floor and a whiteboard in the living room. Uh, these are little guys uh, and they are heroes. And I'll say it, they're socialists. Don't forget, what? like they're held down by the ultimate socialists, billionaires. That's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true, man. Oh, man. I will say this. The fucking every time Leon Cooperman has gone on the news to talk about this shit, it has been the funniest thing that's ever happened. Which fucking guy is that? I, I, I only know the them by their old very, faces. He's the big, very saggy kind of egg looking billionaire who yes. goes on CNBC and is mm-hmm. like, the thing is, rich people need protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the status quo. And the, the one where he was like, this fair share is a bullshit concept was just like, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you. I mean, you really I, took it to the limit. But I did also see some dumb internet people clip old stuff together of his and like claim it's like what he was talking about with this example, which like then like gave the analysis of him like a lot of like fake news quality. Yeah. People were splicing in the 2019 thing where Elizabeth Warren said we should tax the have a tax for uh, Wall Street and rich people. There's a wealth tax. And mm-hmm. he went on CNBC and cried. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. People have been adding that. It's, it's led to a lot of confusion, actually, because people have been like, man, have you you got to talk about the crying billionaire. And I'm like, that was a year ago. Like, you don't know. Two two years that ago. That was now. a famous event. Two years ago. Yeah. Damn. You're right. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. But, yeah. It's people have. The time jump is real. <laughs> yeah. Time jump is real, man. Time, time is dilated by COVID. Anyways. We should introduce our guest. We should first of all, you're listening to a podcast. It's called the Game Boys Podcast. Let's start the show. Let's start the show. Yeah, let's start the show. My name is Lux. I'm one of your hosts, and I am Griffin, your second host. And we, of course, as always, joined by our producer Haley. Yeah, we got producer Haley on the ones and twos, and we're also joined by a special guest. Uh, he's an improviser. He's a writer. He's a streamer. He's a gamer. He does an amazingly broad number of things that kind of blows my mind. It's J.R. Zambrano, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, everyone. Mm. It's me. Nice. Incredible Thanks. energy. <laughs> really bra- really bringing it to, to, to 11 right at the gate, which is what we love to see. Um, Man, you got the energy I'm trying. I'm trying to operate on. I'm trying to I'm trying to be a new Griffin in 2021. You know, I'm, I'm trying to. It's so easy to be angry online, but you know what? It's hard to be chill and fun. And and I'm and I'm trying to find I'm trying to find that new energy. I'm trying to come at the world with positivity. And and I'm, I, you know I'm trying I'm trying to be like I, I want to tweet like Marianne Williamson is watching. <laughs> that that's what I'm trying I mean, to do. Orb emoji, orb emoji, orb emoji's got to just be the signature. <laughs> If you're going to do that, man, I speaking of being angry online versus like the types of ways you can be online. I just learned something yesterday that I thought was interesting, which is that there's a German version of ennui. Um, that like is that is that a, the Wii U? Yeah, in it's, France? it's a Wii U oh, yes. in France, but there's a German version of it which can play like the the German only Nintendo games. So you get like. Uh, super organized Mario Brothers, where you you hop around the Mushroom Kingdom, straightening out the roads and making sure that the kingdom is well laid out. Yeah, perfect. Fire emblems, mm-hmm. buy houses. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you. It's so ennui, much like the Wii U, is a feeling of generalized indifference and ambiguity. Um, 
And the German version is that, except you're mad about it. And that's very Perfect. relatable to me. That's on whack. Yeah. That, I don't, that's not the word for it, but it's, that is what we're going to call a, it. It's on whack. And that's like how I've been feeling this week, I think, is like, like I said at the beginning, I'm not as steamed up as usual. I don't have like a specific target for my rage, but it's just like simmering under the surface of just like a general feeling of like, come on. <laughs> About everything. Uh-huh. So I also got to learn to be more chill and fun, I guess, is the big takeaway here. The word for those playing along at home is Weltschmerz. I, Weltschmerz, I that's also the just learned it because I've been catching up on Friends at the Table. Yeah, same. <laughs> wow. Uh, and the listeners of the podcast will know that I don't know any other languages. Uh, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm the least sus because of that. Yep. <laughs> who knows what, the, who that, what other podcasts or countries these guests and locks are working for. Um, but, but guys. Yeah, we could be lying. It could not even be a real word. Yeah, I, I could have just come out of a vent <sighs> near, uh, near the controller navigation. So, sort of an among us type scenario mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah even though it's very played out now you know we've seen that scenario happen for months <laughs> your fucking distaste for among us is the story of late 2020 it's it sucks now dude but there's still people there's still youtube streamers mainly it faded off twitch thankfully but there are still youtube streamers who start at like 10 a.m and have like a hundred thousand people watch them play among us like arguably the most boring game to watch ever yeah, uh it's, it's wild it's so funny it was so funny, like a week after that game was in the Twitch meta, you were just on the podcast like, it's been up for too long. Everyone's <laughs> sick of it. This game sucks. No one should Stop ever the talk counts, about brother. it. Stop the downloads. <laughs> yeah, um, It's, it's the count. GameStop of video games. JR, uh, Lux tells me that you are you are a thoughtful, uh, you know, cultural gamer critic. That's why that's what everyone of our guests that we have on Game Boys is. And, you know, just start the pod and really get focused onto a segment. I think we should talk about the GameStop thing one time now that the dust has settled, even though I do hesitate to talk about it at all because everything about the discourse around it has been like not only exhausting, but like just feels more and more like oh, you don't actually have to pay attention to this that much. But I, I, I want to hear from you now that the dust has settled. How do you how did you feel about the whole scenario and where we are now? Uh it was it was kind of bizarre. It was like, oh, this is something that people are going to write about in like weird history book texts and everyone's going to read it and be like, whoa, it's crazy that this happened. And then it's going to happen again, like some number of years later, probably fewer years later than it would be in uh, normal times because, of you know, we have the Internet now. So we live in the society of societies. More like a more like a mirror maze. Right. Where everything's kind of reflected and and stretched out into the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of learning about like Tulip Mania or the, the South Seas Trading Company. And I was like, this is what it must have fin- felt like to be in history. Hmm. Yeah, totally. It's very much like there's a line from like South Seas Trading to Tulip Mania to the Onion Crisis to this. That's like very like just weird economics history. And this is definitely like a marker on that timeline for sure. Um, did you invest anything? Did you, did you have your final? I have my final earnings report, and? which I'm ready to disclose after last week. Let's disclose it. Well, I want to ask JR. JR, did you, did you do any investing? Oh, yeah, I, I did. I invested um, I invested in like a thousand Dogecoins. Hell yeah. Whoa. Nice. I'm, I'm, once, once I become a, a crypto millionaire <laughs> from my 
uh, what, like 20 bucks, <laughs> then I will be I will I will uh, have you all on my yacht as guests. Wow. I guess toss yeah. a doge, don't, don't. toss a doge coin to your witcher, if, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Don't don't frown on a small investment in crypto because I will never forget. I'll call him out by name. I will <laughs> never should, forget New York City resident Jack Burner and the time that I had two hundred dollars to spend. And I thought, what if I just bought two hundred bitcoins when Bitcoin or eight hundred bitcoins and bitcoins were a quarter in 2011? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, that's stupid. And if I had not listened to Jack and this is maybe one of the only times I've ever listened to Jack. And if I hadn't that time. I would be flying around on a, in a one-man plane, a custom yeah. one-man plane. I mean, those, all, you, those always go down, be, though. Yeah, I mean, they will go down, but it's not lower than a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you you would be as rich as that that like billion-dollar bill that you have. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd actually be able to. I'd actually be able to exchange my trillion-dollar bill to myself. The guy's name um, was Jack Burner. This is your fault. This was a lesson for you to not trust everyone. This I mean, so Jack obviously. Burner is. <laughs> He's I like know, I the, messed up. I was played. He's fucking like a Russian shitty screenwriter he's a Russian sleeper agent for like a, a, yeah. a hack guy. <laughs> he's he's yeah. a he's a video game character in a in like a Tom Clancy game or like an Ubisoft mm-hmm. you know yeah, watchdog. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, I he's wanted to react watchdog. to what you guys said about this being a big economic story because that certainly was my feeling and that was certainly the narrative uh, for all of last week. But from my perspective, this is not very consequential at all. Like there was this narrative that it was a lot of little guys like taking all this money. But if you look into it, like a large percentage were other hedge funds, other investors. And I think people like thought that like, if you're on Reddit, Wall Street bets, that means that you are an unemployed person when it's like everyone that works at Wall Street uses that Reddit, too. It's not like they like scan you to check that you're working class and you're unemployed and you're just a low, low stakes trader. Everyone uses that Reddit. So people like so this idea that every like that the majority of the people there were like this, like lower surf class, like rising up, like sure that some of them, but certainly not everyone. And in fact, the people with the most most disposable income are like like more well-paid, uh, flexible with cash right now, like uh, like upper class people, like every lib that I know got in on this. But I mean, I can't I can't say the same of like all the people I know that work in restaurants right now. Um, So like yeah. the narrative was bullshit there to me. Uh, and then on top of that, they've already sewn all this shit up. It's not going to be something you can do in the future. They figured out how to sew it all up. So it's like this doesn't seem to have any actual structural echoes or ramifications and instead feels completely psychic to me like it's just like an psychic explosion of anger and sort of discourse that doesn't actually affect anything so this is accurate your assessment is accurate but the reason why i think it's gets to still be on the timeline of weird economics is that it's an extremely illustrative example of a couple of critical economic concepts in a very fun, stupid way, mm-hmm. right? It's a really good example of sort of how, like the distinction between behavioral and rational economics. It's a really good example of how shorts work and how market speculation works. And like, that's bigger than the fact that tulip mania was weird is that it's like a big, great example of how speculation and inflation work and stuff like that. And so this and is going to be like a great historical example. Where that? Oh, also, it's it's a, an example of like the, the sort of crowd interest and how much like, 
PR and uh, information like traveling fast really can can blow something up because like, you know, talking about Tulip Mania or like the the South Seas bubble, like they straight up started and and quelled a revolution like they they beat a bunch of uh jacobites uh to to kind of drive up the general mood in england to get people to buy into the the south seas trading company you know like having having that kind of positive positive angle you know i mean we didn't crush a revolution but like having that in mind to get to tap into the anger uh is is it's like to bring it back to video games it's like having the boss like have their flashing weak point exposed for a moment. Oh, now I get it. Sorry, I was confused until then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's usually how it goes with Griffin. That's pretty much accurate. Like, I need, a, I, I I need think, a reference. I need a metaphor. <laughs> but Griffin, you um, you hit on something that's really important here, which I think that there's this big problem with the class analysis at play here, like you got to, because the class... The class distinctions that are relevant are not day traders versus retail traders. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not institutional trading versus retail trading or individual trading. It's fucking it's bourgeois capitalist class versus the working class. Right. Um, that's always in the line. And so this mistake that there's like this proletarian element to this uh, just sort of ignores like what those words mean mm-hmm. um, in a way that I do think you're right kind of makes this thing dumb that said I can finally afford a PS5 again because of my game stonks so I ain't mad <laughs> I ain't too mad at it <laughs> let's um, go um, the, the, uh, yeah total 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 reported earnings oh, yeah. of $520.13 you made $500 let's go yeah, dude. hell yeah <laughs> there's this if this podcast is one thing it is a record of every time me having a gambling problem has paid off <laughs> um that's like one of its great functions uh, but yeah the, I, I made back a ps5 and change that fucking and rocks so, dude dude you got that you so got like, that it, and then you got the dogecoin yeah what i did i you have a I twitch have, stream i have i have yeah, well, let's go to vegas let's let's do it let's let's go to vegas we'll uh we'll invest some money into their games uh-huh. and uh take our returns which i guess are taxable and we'll uh we'll do some capitalism stuff yeah. with it i'm the majority yeah. owner of akon coin uh which is uh, a bitcoin that was founded by the musician akon and can only be usable in akon city which actually doesn't exist yet but i've seen some blueprints and they've picked an incredible oasis in the middle east uh, that's this is all real by the I, way I know. I know it is. But all I can think about is the idea that the way that you know how Bitcoin is generated by like processes running on a computer. All I can imagine is a big old button on the Acon coin website that just says smack that. Yeah. And you just have to keep smacking that button. <laughs> Baby, don't worry. Um, so, guys, I think those were my big takes about this. uh what I thought was more of a gamer event and I wish it was more gamer focused, but of course it blossomed to AMC. And, um, but I, I wanted to, I guess, sort of end this GameStop stonks saga uh, with with sort of um, a spiritual truth, if you will, about about <laughs> GameStop and economics from a post that I saw get kind of recircled around Twitter from 2014 uh, about a man that used to use GameStop as his bank. 
Yeah, uh, I just read this for you guys a little bit here. Does anyone else use GameStop as a bank? I got really pissed off with US Bank because I kept overdrafting my account, even though I opted out. And the same thing happened with my credit union when I got a debit card. Now, whenever I get paid, I go pre-order a whole shitload of games. Whenever I need money, I go to the nearest GameStop and ask for my money back on a game I don't want and make a withdrawal. The lines are shorter at GameStop than at the bank, and I can trade in old games and have money go straight to my savings account. <laughs> GameStops are just as prevalent as banks in my town, and I work at a mall, so it's even more convenient than running an errand to the bank or using an ATM and getting charged. The GameStop people are starting to catch on that I'm just moving money around and only buying one pre-ordered game a year, if that, but there isn't shit they can do about it. The best part is, since I always pre-order every game coming out, I'm still guaranteed to get all the exclusive content, whether or not I'm sure I want a certain game. It's like they're rewarding me for banking with them. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible grift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What an incredible grift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this person's got it figured out, at least that, until they sew up the loophole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It all gets, everything gets plugged eventually, but man, that fucking rules to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a case for pre-ordering. Now, we often say don't pre-order games here on the podcast, but I'm starting to think a different way. But I mean, is doing that any more secure than like putting all your money uh, into the stock market or or like, you know, put it into the real estate and then 2008 happening? I don't know. Uh, yeah, more secure, yeah, no, it's, room for, it's, no, no possibility for growth. Like it's 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 a thousand times more secure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> infinitely more secure, infinitely less profitable in theory. Yeah. But as far as like just sustaining an amount of money, I guess in theory, it's pretty good. Um, well, I mean, yeah. you know, if, if you're not a coastal elite, that's that's about the best you can hope for these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's pretty true. So do you think there will be? Is it, what's the future of GameStop? Does this change the future of GameStop at all? Or will it continue to be sort of like a bunch of sheds around the country that have like two PS5s in them? Uh, I think GameStop is I think I think GameStop's going to die soon. Here's why. Um, they had some stuff going on with their like restructuring and rebranding and hiring the guy from Chewy to run their e-commerce stuff. And that's like what led to the initial bump that led to all this stuff happening in the first place. Um But I feel like if they really wanted to do that, they could have just generated cheap capital off of the overvalued stock price um, by just like selling small shares from the ownership to generate capital for the company, which they didn't do. And it's like, if you're not going to do that, then like, and your company doesn't make a lot of money, then I feel like you're just letting it die. They're begging for death. They're they're asking someone to finish them. They're begging for death. Yeah. Um, that's, that's something to pretty nice. That's where I'm at. That's what I think. I could be wrong. I'm not an economic expert, but to me, it's just like you're being given effectively free money for your company and you're choosing not to take it. Seems like you don't care that much about the company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because if you get free money for a company, you're supposed to buy back your stock and then lay off your workers and close, close down your, your physical locations. And it seems like they kind of went in the, the reverse order where they, they, closed down their locations and laid off their workers and now they they can't buy back the stock they're driving into a second iceberg after hitting the like, first how is how is how is how is uh, mr chewy uh ceo i assume that's his name because all companies are named after their founder well, well, uh, once you become the ceo that you that you have to legally change your name 
Yeah. So, so how is Don Chewy going to mm-hmm. get his his forty seven million dollar bonus this year <laughs> from from driving the pro, uh, price of the stock so high? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I don't know how they're going to afford to pay Monsieur Chewy. <laughs> what do you, What does GameStop mean to your family? <laughs> what if I, I just can't you got three cents they... for a game? <laughs> I just can't believe that they were like, we're a video game company. We're struggling. What we need is a guy who sells dog food. And then the guy who sells dog food was way better at it than the fucking video game company was, <laughs> even during a pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you guys really shit the bed, huh? Like, you guys really <laughs> ate shit on this. That dog food man can just show up and redo your business model better. And it's better than it was before. Yeah. It like never actually works. And it's wild to me. Middle class magic, baby. The guys who create dog <laughs> treats, they're the real five heads. Um, <laughs> but uh, guys, I have a story that is breaking within the last half hour. This this oh. this is within 30 minutes. OK, this is something you guys might not have heard about yet. Um, but of course, uh, Jr. are you any are you a fan of the Resident Evil games? Have you seen the trailer to Resident Evil Village? I, I have. I, I also want like most people to be stepped on by that one resident evil witch lady well that's interesting that you say that because it's never become more possible to do that because um the creators of the game released this message half an hour ago on twitter hi everyone i'm tomonori takano art director on resident evil village i wanted to use this opportunity to publicly reflect on the outpouring of positivity received from the fans on our latest announcement as a representative of the development team thank you to all the fans who continue to follow us most recently lady demetri i can't and say this Demetriscu and her daughters have received a fair amount of attention far more than we anticipated um if you include her hat and high heels she's 2.9 meters approximately nine feet six inches tall <laughs> now there's two things about that height that are important to me one very tall <laughs> Two, two reverse sex number. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Backwards. Holy shit! Nice. How did I not see that? Whoa! Yeah, so that's really a great choice of height. A great, great it's choice of height. This the, is the best choice of height. This is this is the horniest post I've ever seen from a video game designer. This is crazy, <laughs> and you know what's weird is like how. It's such a it's such an interesting vibe because the internet unanimously wants to be dominated by this giant woman. And I guess they can still be toxic in other ways. Is this a sign that gamers are getting woke and that maybe the key to people becoming more acceptable of different things is to make them horny? Unfortunately, Griffin, if we've learned anything from in particular Dark Horse comics, but most comic books generally, it's that very bad people love to be dominated by women as a way for the plot to sort of give them a weird thing about them. Damn it. (laughs) So... Unfortunately, no. So this is not feminism. I don't think it's happening. No, well, yeah, not gamers yet. are. St- I'm not gonna gamers say it's are still a mistake. Yeah, gamers are still a mistake, but I'm not gonna <laughs> say it's not possible. I think this could be the step down a big growth road for gamers. Big growth road, yeah. But I don't think we're there yet. A lot of people think, doing no growth for so long, but now we do a big growth. Could be a, could be a, a nine foot six inch growth. <laughs> Man, the gaming community, a lot of showers, not a lot of growers. Um, I'm, I'm, that's a 
kind of forced dick joke, but I'll take it. You forced it. You forced it. Um, but I just, I don't know, guys. This, this to me, it was like, this is, this is culturally like reverberating. And there isn't really, I haven't seen any takes of people being like, this lady's too tall. Like, I haven't seen anyone say that. Yeah, that's good because that's impossible. But, but for all, yeah. of thing to be too tall. So the people, so is it that she's just feminine? So they like that she's giant and feminine because they hated Abby from The Last of Us too, who I thought was also a hot because she was a giant woman with huge arms. But like, they like maybe they like she Milky was Mommy missing, more. Yeah, maybe she was missing the talons. Or is it is it the horror element that maybe Jr. is right? Are, it's like the horror fantastical element. Maybe they need to experience different things through the element of horror. Yeah. Well, I think it's that she's, it's she's, she's just far enough away from the real, from real people that it doesn't become like a, an actionable or real or necessarily considered position Mm -hmm. in the way that like, there are women who basically look like Abby. And also Um, you don't have to play as the tall woman. Right. You yeah, never have to fully empathize with the inside of her mind. She exists only externally, yeah. which I think which the haters love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if 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 the camera at some point went inside the tall lady, then people would for sure be mad about it. And I would pre-order today if I found out that that's what happened in the game. Yeah. If I knew that there was a segment where you play as a tall lady, I would pre-order and I haven't even been able to find a PlayStation 5 <laughs> yeah, yet, yeah, but you, I would order the game yeah, for yeah, sure. You get the game first, of course. That makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, like, games drive the system. We the, we we know that to be true. Mm-hmm. Games drive the system. So yeah. it's like, why even have the system if you can just have the games? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and listen, it's like uh, this is this to me. You know, is is maybe even it's not a big step. It can be a small step in the right direction uh, from you know the normal sort of like last two decades of sexualization, which is just like a female warrior wearing nothing. Like this woman's wearing a lot of clothes. She's like voluptuous, but she's like pretty much fully clothed and giant and people are loving it yeah no a big thing about this that the as as sort of flippant as i am about how i don't think this is a big deal there is one significant thing here which is that like showing different types of women in games has for a long time been something the industry was extremely resistant to Mm -hmm. finally vampire Um, acceptance well it's like yeah now we've got muscle ladies like abby and giant tall ladies and it used to be the only kind of lady was like five foot six huge butt huge boobs and like blonde or dark brown or red hair and that was every female character in every video game and so it is cool to it is legitimately cool to start seeing other types of bodies in the mix even if it's not you know all of them or a lot of the ones that lack representation it's still nice to see other stuff happen especially in games that are like mainstream uh at least mainstream enough that pitchfork would be disappointed in their sophomore release uh like because you could see body type variety if you went to like weird indie games even something like uh like monster prom which talking about scary horny monster ladies and dudes and you know non-binary uh identifying monsters Mm -hmm. uh like they got that in spades yeah everyone everyone's buying indie games and then yeah but only like a few thousand people play those. Uh, I mean, more than that. Exactly. But, you know. two, two, two of them are on this podcast. <laughs> um, How is Monster Problem? Um, is that out? Uh, yeah, they're they're on Monster Camp now. I've been thinking of a different game, but I saw a game like announced within the, the PS5 stuff. And it sounded very similar to that. Let me see. Monster Problem. I wonder Prom. if it was Monster Girl Island again. If we get to revisit Monster Girl Island. No, it just sounded like a very similar game where like 
it's very similar indie artwork and it's like people going that are like creatures and they're going to prom it's just seems just not the, not the same game this game was cool though um yeah all right well i think this is good general stuff but let's get specific about james that we're playing um what are you playing jr well, uh right now i've just been playing through disco elysium again getting ready for there the, we go uh, director's cut coming next yeah. month oh my gosh i'm is that just a month super away super excited about that that's gonna fix yeah, I, me i am too it's 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 gonna fix me too mm-hmm. like like disco elysium uh when i first played it fixed me fixed me right the first like it, it ruined other video games for me for for a long time yeah honestly it fucking it, it it's corny as hell to say but like good like really really good art makes me incredibly introspective and like makes me like want to live my life in new ways and like improve myself and disco elysium definitely did that for me like just uh the game is all about like you you fall like like outside of all the ideologies and politics and all that stuff it's really interesting it is a game about a guy who like keeps on not doing the things he needs to change his life in a positive way and keeps just spiraling downward and downward. And I think that like, even if you're not a mess, like this detective character, like you can like find things in your own life. You're like, Oh yeah, I just keep doing this. And like, what if I changed? Uh, And uh, yeah, I fucking loved it the first time. And now hearing that they're just going to do all the voice work for everyone. Uh, Is that, is that the, is that the promise they're making here? That is that plus there's going to be like a whole new area to explore and run around in. So like if if you got it before, you just get a free, you know, new DLC, basically. That's fucking awesome. I I was blown away by that fucking game Mm -hmm. (laughs) in like every in every way. Um, I'm I'm, I'm curious, like because uh griffin i think you have some uh amazing insight as to what it's about but i like i got something also uh a a little different but also just as like deep and personally meaningful from it i'm wondering what what did what did you get from it lux like how did it speak to you i mean it was a game about historical analysis and social conditions and like the nature of the movement of money between classes so like what do you think i thought about like (laughs) i mean i i I do get more than I give myself credit for relate to characters and games a lot of the time, but that was one that was so in my sort of theoretical wheelhouse and with characters sort of in a tone that I like and talking about a thing that I'm like specifically history um, and the world history plays in these things um, was so central that it's hard for me to separate how enamored I was with that and how much that led to like how much that colored all my readings of everyone in the game to really relate to it beyond that. Like I found the story moving and stuff, but everything still became like, it was hard to think any emotional moment was anything other than like the outcome of a series of historical and class events playing out inevitably through like a system of, of oppression and, and economics. Mm-hmm. So, which is like f- fine, not a particularly agency filled way of looking at things, but it made, it made me think about that a lot. And I thought it was really cool. And it was very much dancing and in, in dancing to my tune throughout. So and and for me, like it was it was about like uh, how if you can't put yourself back together, you know, sometimes you have to like look at the people around you who are either there for you or depending on you. And you can kind of like through others find uh, a different kind of strength or even because uh, like I, I played with High uh, Inland Empire, uh, which Same. remains like the second best skill in the game. It is, Shivers yeah. obviously is the best one, but mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, like for me, it was like about letting yourself be okay, kind of being a mess and like, you know, it it doesn't always have to be up to you to, to do, uh, the, the ultimate work you have to like want to, to change or want to grow. Um, uh, and there was like the, the amazing like interplay between, uh, uh, firewalker harry and uh uh uh, kitsuragi was was uh like it was incredibly cool to 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 watch um and i like that you can get all of these different things from the the same uh game like that that i think is a a testament to just how good it is yeah it's filled with life um and those those guys are like to the best duo in a game i've seen in a long time maybe since ratchet and clank um but uh I would think the the other idea from it that I, I pulled, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but is this idea of everyone is so open with their politics. All the characters in the game are and like in their, and so open with their ideologies in a way that people really aren't that talkative in real life. But like because people are that open about the, the way they view the world and their politics in the game, you get to learn so much about them. Um, and I think that sometimes when we encounter someone who doesn't have the same politics as us, whether it's a Republican, a MAGA person or like, you know, like some just like moderate neoliberal type, like there's this like there's this anger that it's all their choice to be like that and like something that i experienced in this game was that like especially with this sort of neoliberal character of the woman on the boat who's the business lady it's like i completely disagreed with her politics but i also got to know her as a person how she came to these conclusions and also like how she like sees the world knows that what she's doing isn't 100 percent right but doesn't see any option out of it and it gave me just like a it made me less angry at people, I think. And like, maybe like want to understand like how people got there and that like people do have bad ideologies, but like that doesn't necessarily mean that, that they're bad people. I don't know. That's what I felt from some of these characters. Right. It, it's and that that goes to the history thing, maybe because I think everything does. But um, but it is like the characters ideologies come from their material conditions and their experiences. And so it's not like this person like that lady chooses to be like this bloodthirsty corporate kind of person. It's that she grew up in a context and had experiences that led her to those conclusions. And that's so it's not a purely ethical choice on her part. It's like the result of a bunch of subconscious and unconscious influences. And I do think you're right that that is like in some ways a very empathic perspective or like one that wants to be empathic, that does like care about sort of the internal life of these people beyond just like their expressions of politics. And I think that is a really cool part of that game. Totally. Yeah based it's so it's so and it's just fun guys outside all this bullshit intellectual stuff like you can also just approach the game as very very fun it has some of the best written scenes in games the standoff sequence towards the end of the game is one of the craziest scenes i've seen in a video game it's i mean certainly one of the most tense scenes i've ever played of being like oh my god every choice matters so much right now like i was sweating yeah Yeah, it's one of the Oh, go ahead. Oh, go for it. My example is very esoteric. You should uh, go for it. The only other time I felt like that stressed out in a game uh, is my other favorite video game, the, uh, the Outer Wilds, mm. um, where you get to the so end game good. sequence and you're like, oh, I, I actually fear for my 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 life. Like as as a person, I'm like, oh, my God, my my hands are shaking. I am sweating like I'm watching these anglerfish drift by and I, I like can't, you know, power my ship. 
Um, but that's that's a different game. But like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It, it felt like everything is on the line and it, 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 it kind of feels like like those um, those like moments of, of culmination, you know, where mm-hmm. like history comes all to this, yes. this moment, this point. Uh huh. But also as a surprise, yeah. but it feels inevitable. Like it's a surprise mm-hmm. when it starts, but it feels inevitable once you're in the middle of it. And also it's one of it's an incredible scene because you don't want anyone to die really. Like, I don't know how you felt about it, but it's like, it's like, obviously there are some more aggressive people in this standoff, but like everyone feels like they got there because of their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, and like people are about to die and like, no matter who dies, like you don't want, any of it to happen and 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 so like like it's way more complicated than like there's good guys and bad guys on either side of this like you can find empathy in all the characters and that's like oh fuck that i've played that scene so many times it's because the game is great because its villains are like capitalism and like the failures of like the nation state as a historical object like the actual villains of the game because like you're saying all those people at the end like they are there because society shoved them into that place. And it is inevitable in that way. And the game knows that. And that's very cool. It's what I love about that scene is it's the only video game I've ever played that has, that had me feeling that way that you do if you're playing like a tabletop RPG and you get to like a really important, like you like do a long scene and has like a big choice at the end that everyone has to make. And everyone at the table is like, can we take like five minutes to like, smoke cigarettes or like drink water or like take a breather before we have to like make this decision and finish this scene. Like we just pause and like, like emotionally calibrate to this for a sec. Um, and like video games rarely ever get me in that place. And that moment like was, I felt exactly the same as I have in tabletop games where it's like, I need to stop for a second and think about this before we go on. Um, which is wild because it's, that's just not the kind of storytelling video games do. They're a little bit different than tabletop games and to like hit that note in that way was like really crazy to me. And, and I, I think a big part of that is because like there's, there's no good outcome, right? Like the, the, the best you can hope for, uh, I mean, spoilers, this game is, uh, two years old now almost. Oh, we've also spoiled it on this podcast like seven okay, times. Awesome. So. But like, like the, the best you can hope for is that, you know, you and your buddy are alive and not everyone else is dead, but like, it's, it's still bad. You know, it's still a, a shit show no matter what. I don't think there's a way to prevent no death. Yeah, I, I don't think there is either. That's the thing about like, it is like that's what's also great about the scene is like you can try to prevent prevent some stuff, but people are going to die. Well, and it's 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 like a, a a theme throughout this game is that like failure is inevitable. But but what I love is that Disco Elysium doesn't treat failure as like a bad thing. You know, like some of the best stuff that you can get in the game is locked behind you, like failing a check. Totally. Um, like like uh the whole uh uh detective custo bit you know like yeah. if you know who you are then you'll never see like the most i mean that was one of my favorite uh comedy bits in this in this game but like uh even even like i'm a save scummer like i will i will go back and reload a game to do a check and i never felt the urge to do that in disco elysium yeah. except for like once i think when it when it came down to the showdown and i was like oh wait a minute i wasn't ready for this right now mm-hmm. uh and even then i still like went with what i had had done because it just felt like yeah this this feels inevitable this feels like it feels it feels like a good uh noir moment you know 
I do feel like I had a slightly different relationship to that moment than you guys in my initial playthrough, just because as Griffin knows well, I got super stoned and forgot to get the gun. <laughs> so I showed up for the standoff fully unarmed. Oh, I did too. Oh, uh, okay. I did you too. Did? Okay, so then uh, you, you didn't get the gun either. I thought you got the gun. Mm, I might have got it on my second playthrough, but it doesn't help really. It, it, no, does, it, like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I have discovered it doesn't. But the first time I was so like, verklempt with like i can't i can't do anything in this like i have no the monopoly on violence in this moment is literally everyone else Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) uh well that's i mean i guess that's true i i had a weapon even though i didn't have my gun Uh, no i had no weapon or i i should be like effectively i was standing there like guys come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) which which is i like that's awesome it's it's awesome. It's awesome that you can you can end up at that moment and have that right, like that that you can be that powerless in like the game's climax, and it's like that's that's incredible. Like that they they just let you do that. You know, other games would be like, you gotta have a gun, or like you know maybe Kitsuragi will pull something out. You know, yeah. in, in a, a lesser game. Yeah, uh, I had I had the spirit bomb. Uh, which was amazing because my necktie cool. was like, hey, you've been wearing me this whole game. Uh, That's now incredible. You need to put me in this in this medical liquor. Just the best. Uh, it it was it was like the a meaningful sacrifice, you know. Like I'm a sucker for for a character like giving their lives so that other people can live, and I started like tearing up over a necktie. Yeah. See, and that's good game design. It's really my good. God. Um, well, Griffin, are you playing anything that isn't Yakuza before we talk about LAD? Yeah, I'm playing uh, LAD. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am, I like, I've been like staring at the computer screen, not knowing what's next for me in my gaming journey right now. I got like halfway through Yakuza and I've been looking for the next game. My my interim right now has been getting back into Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Um, mm. And I just like I don't think I made it a clear enough statement when I first played this game. I think it is like one of the best. It's like a masterpiece. Like it demands everything from you, but it is basically perfect. Like like everything about it is incredible. Uh, I mean, I describe it more of uh, less of a Dark Souls game and honestly more of a rhythm game where you have to like get in the boss's face and hit perfect parries just over and over again. And it asks everything of you. You can't not pay attention. You can't zone out and grind to make it easier. You have to accept the game for what it is and rush head on into it. And it's such a perfect experience. I mean, I think what speaks to that that's super true in like the discourse level is that like people no one's arguments against Sekiro were about Sekiro not executing on its goals they were just about its goals being bad which is like a bullshit way to criticize art hmm. yeah for sure um they were always like the game's too hard totally. the challenging mechanics don't make any sense like, or aren't good for me or whatever and it's like look the game is about you as a player progressing at these things it's not about leveling up a character it's about you journey, taking that exact same journey with this guy that's a really hard way to play a game. It's a really hard way to design a game. But that's the choice they did, and they fucking nailed it. Like, I, I said to someone who hasn't beaten it, it's too hard for me to it beat is. it. It's too hard for a lot of people. I'll say it. It's too hard for, like, a lot of people. It's something you have to seek out. Um, yeah, but that's that's why it's so – but it's it's doing a very specific thing, and it's doing it basically perfect. Yeah. Um, but the coolest thing about it, to me, in gaming, outside of necessarily its 
well, it's related to difficulty, but I've never really like seen a, like the creators of a franchise speak more directly to their player base because Sekiro is a direct response to Dark Souls players. The creators are saying, we see how you play our Dark Souls games. We see how you cheese our bosses. We see how you grind until it's easy. And we are eliminating all of that. You cannot grind. You cannot dodge roll around the bosses you have to accept the mechanic finally and like it's it's such a it's such a fucking challenge set to the player and like it's like they know how we've been fucking with their games for so long it's amazing they just it's pretty they sewed it up they sewed up all the holes just like wall street they're like oh yeah you got you guys found the loopholes in our bosses no they're hard again they're they're not for anyone to play (laughs) from software the wall street of gaming yeah 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 that's Um, how i that's how i like always refer to them Mm -hmm. yeah it's how i explain my friends that they should check out bloodborne yeah like imagine a game (laughs) made by wall street Mm -hmm. and they're like oh i gotta check this out i gotta get in on that yeah um well i've been playing um friend of the show forest uh shouts out to forest walker um created for me a pstv which is a ps vita slash psp that can run straight to my tv um, and he has loaded it up with all of the old JRPGs that your boy loves to play. Okay. So I am working through Trails in the Sky right now, an oh, JRPG snap. from 2010 that doesn't exist in English except for on the PSP. Um, and I am playing through it and I, uh, it's so fun. It's so, so fun. Um, for a lot of the reasons that, that Disco Elysium and, uh, the Disco Elysium is fun and, and sort of a lot of others we've talked about is fun because this is a JRPG that starts on a really intimate scale, the way that so of Disco Elysium or a lot of uh, other fun games do and gets really big. But that sense of intimacy at the beginning is so much more connective than the other kind of JRPG story, which is like, you're a super warrior in the middle of a super war. Like you you're like, it's the story of like two teens, like trying to learn how to like help solve crimes or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's super fucking fun. And it's very cool to sort of go back. And there's like this generation of games I didn't get to play. Cause I like wasn't old enough. To, like I couldn't afford certain systems when I was younger and I can, and I wasn't old enough to like learn how to like do emulators or like hack things or like, you know, figure out how to get access to stuff that I couldn't normally have. And so now I have this machine that lets me like revisit like Valkyria Chronicles two and three, which I didn't have access to, or the trails in the sky games or a bunch of uh, Japanese final fantasy releases like crisis core and stuff. That sounds Um, so overwhelming to me to be like, Oh great. Here's 50,000 hours of content. Like (laughs) fuck that. That's too many. Well, you and I both have a different problem. This is very good for my problem. How do you stack them up like that though? Lux? Like every time I play a JRPG, I got to play something else in between. Cause like, yeah, there's differences, but they're also very similar. Um, I switched between tactics and regular JRPGs is pretty much Mm -hmm. the answer. Um, yeah, that's that's the way to that, do it. That distinction's pretty good. Also, you know, I play I I also do like I've been playing Yakuza, like I play other stuff and I like read and and make things. Okay. Um and my video game playing is like it's sort of a binge model in the sense that like I'll go a week where I play like 4 hours of games for the week and the next week I'll play like 60. Mm. Um I just sort of like go back and forth that way. And so it's JRPGs are great for me in that way because they're sort of just omnipresent story. And if I feel like playing a hundred hour movie, I'll just sit down and do it. That makes sense. Well, and, and trails in the sky seems to be great for the, you know, the, the game boys worldview, because like the, I mean, if you want to live like Marianne Williamson is watching, like it's all about orbs. Wow. And it's true. Uh, maybe I should get into it then. Cause I am, I'm, is, I, I'm, the, I'm not doing it yet. I'm not a good person yet, but it's my goal. Like JR is right. The trails games are 
deeply all 10 of them are deeply orb focused that's awesome Okay. Uh, your orb mint is critical. You got to constantly leveling up your orbs. You got to upgrade gotta, you your gotta, orbs, switch you your orbs get, out for other orbs. You have orbal technology and there's like an orbal revolution in one of the games. <laughs> yeah. It's like if, if you like orbs, these are the games for you. Yeah. Uh, more so than even something like, you know, Super Monkey Ball or mm. whatever. Did, uh, Lux, did, did I ever make you look at or look up uh, Live Alive? Speaking uh, of JRPGs, uh, no, I think it's not. one that that uh, people should know about more. It's an old like Super Famicom era game that never was imported for the Super Nintendo or the SNES. If you're a nerd, prequel to Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, it is a direct prequel to it. Uh, you play as all of the characters yeah, except. How did uh, all these freaks get on this beach? <laughs> well, let me tell. It's all these like square pixel you. boob characters like. It's yeah, like it's like old, pretty, right? It's it looks yeah, like shit. It, it, yeah. No, it, it's uh, square, square pixels, and yeah. everyone's wearing. You, you can get them different outfits, mm-hmm. um, but you, you have to like unlock that mode by beating this weird game where you play as like a, a JRPG story that's told across different times and and different genres. So like, you'll play through a, a caveman section, and then you play through like a you know. A, a, uh, Sengotsu Jedi section where you're a ninja inf- infiltrating a castle mm-hmm. and you like have to do stealth all of a sudden and then you play through one that's like just straight up a like a 2001 a Space Odyssey kind of sci-fi where you're a little robot and you're trying to stop things from going wrong on the spaceship and it's very clear that you're in like a psychological thriller or the, the best section where it's just a mecha anime episode but in a, a JRPG form complete with theme song like I think you would enjoy it. You gotta, yeah, you gotta sounds, rom it. Yeah, but you should that, message me on Twitter after this because that sounds very my Q zone. I love, I love to have an anime opening in my video game because that's part of the reason I love the Trails games. Yeah, um, every single one of them has an anime opening. Man, don't get me started on anime. I'm, I'm fucking. I've been weaving out on Attack on Titan. We can't talk about it though. Um, Jr. We want to thank you for coming on. Do you have any? What? What's? I want to. I'm sort of, as a final note with you today. Where? What is this? What does your video game year look like for you? What is the big thing you're anticipating? Do you have any big predictions or what? What's what's the gamer mindset for you right now? What's happening? What's the gamer? The gamer mindset for me is I am looking for ways to cheat myself and the game. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm super excited about playing more weird stuff this year. Um, Disco Elysium really kind of like I didn't play it till 2020, but it like blew that like wide open for me. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm looking for like, I'm, I'm going to get into Umarangi generation. Uh, I want to, I want to dig deep into all these, all these steam indies that are sitting in my library waiting to be played. Uh, I just, I'm looking at, uh, an airport for dogs right now, uh, which is good stuff. <laughs> is it like a $2 game you bought off steam? Uh, it is a, I don't remember if it was $2, but, um, but your goals are to clean out your steam library. Yeah. To, oh. to, to play all the, all the cool, weird stuff and see what makes me, uh, what makes me feel some kind of way. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that's a really great approach. <laughs> I'm only playing things that I feel responsible to play for that. I only half enjoy like Hitman three. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> JR, is there anywhere we can find you online? Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Oh, for yeah, there's, on. you can find me all over the place. Uh, I I write tabletop RPG articles for a website called The Bell of Lost Souls. Um, I 
am an RPG streamer on twitch.tv slash here. We're about to start our new season. We're playing a game of Pasión de las Pasiones in space. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Cool. Uh, oh, and all, all nerds here. What, what, what times do you guys normally stream? We stream, uh, I'll, I'll be on Wednesdays at 7 30 PM central time. Okay, cool. Uh, so nine 30 or five 30 Pacific, eight 30 Eastern. Yeah. So you go enjoy coastal that elites. tune into gym room. Oh yeah. Twitch.tv. Um, well, JR, we wish you, uh, an incredible 2021 and, uh, maybe we'll have you back for some more disco Elysium talk. Uh, yeah. once we all play oh, through the, yeah. the new edition. Yeah, maybe once the director's cut drops, you can hop back on. We can we can go. We can do a full episode. We'll do it from my yacht if everything goes well. Uh, <laughs> hey, have a, have a great 2021. Hashtag Doge. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming, man. It was great to see you. Hopefully when we can one day hang out again once the pandemic is less bad. Yes, once everything is less bad. I want you to make a billion right, dollars and then just call it Doga coin. Like mispronounce it. Yeah, say like all ah, the time. My Doga coin. <laughs> my Doga coin. Nah. <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, we'll talk to you later, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, we are back after a short little break here. Wow, incredible. I had to get Lux alone to corner him with no guests that could back him up. I didn't want him to have any defenses. Um, and we're here to talk a little bit about Yakuza Like a Dragon. Touched for yes, the very first time. <laughs> uh, like a dragon. The only thing on my mind. Yeah, it's. What do you think? Let's do you want to go first? Do you want to go first? Or want to go first? Um, OK, so there the combat is very, very fun. I really like it. I'm like six chapters in and I've been doing a lot of side stuff. Um, and I knew that I wasn't going to get through the full story uh, before this pod. So I, I wanted to like check out the mini games and check out everything else. And there are some like really cool stuff about it. And then there's some stuff that I that I just find like too unfocused. And the main things are is like the narrative just is not pulling me through. Uh, like it just feels very, very unfocused, uh, even though like in a lot of ways, it is like the Persona 5 format that I love. Persona 5 just feels so much more focused and they make me care about the characters just a little bit more. Um, and it's not only the story, but the dungeon persona that kind of lead me through Persona. If it is going to be like over a hundred hour game, I just feel like sometimes in Yakuza, I'm like, fuck, this is just the same scenes over and over again. How do you feel? Yeah, I, I feel kind of similarly, I think. I, I really love being in that world and doing stuff in that game. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not a lot of stuff in that game that I don't enjoy sort of doing, but you're you're totally right that I think it's almost because of that. It feels really spread out in this way where, like, the name narrative doesn't really pull me in that direction anymore than any other thing that's happening does. Mm -hmm. um, and with Persona, what Persona does so well is that every single thing that you do on these side things sort of ties into that main narrative because it all kind of plays towards your ability to exist in the in the underverse or whatever. That's a really good point, yeah. Um, and this game doesn't really do that. It's sort of all happening in the same place at the same time. They don't all tie into each other. And so it's narratively focused and functional to the main narrative, even if it is side stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So with Persona, this doesn't do that. And so like I have just as much fun like beating up random gangs and like doing karaoke or doing clog or like doing gotcha pond stuff um, in this game as I do doing the main quest stuff. Like it's not like it's it's not one of those things where like it feels 
more urgent than anything else, which then makes it not feel high stakes or important. And so as like a fun like Yakuza life sim, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. But as like a game with a narrative, it's I still like it, but it doesn't quite grab me the same way. And so I'm not like dumping hours into it the way I have into even other even to, into older Yakuza games. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I know that Yakuza is a quote unquote big franchise, but my but I never played a Yakuza game. And so I approached this franchise being like, I'm going to figure out the reason why this franchise isn't as big as it could be. Like, like where everyone always knows who, what they are and plays them. Like, like this is like a pretty big JRPG. Why isn't this as big as persona, like in, in the States and stuff. And, and I, and I, and like, I realized that it's because it's like, has this, not only this, this sort of unfocused narrative, but the tone is so strange because like the tone is very, very silly at times, but then very, very dramatic and and self-serious and like wants you to take it seriously in this dramatic, just like on tra- like a lot of traumatic scenes, too. Um, and, and like from the trailer, it looked like this really, really sort of goofy, wacky game. Uh, but then like the game often puts you in like very tense, uncomfortable, like mature situations and doesn't bring enough of the goof. And it's just sort of a very uneven tone. Um, and, and so like, that's like why I'm like struggling to make, I'm like, I want there to be more of the, the weird shit. And, um, and I want like the serious stuff can happen too, but it just, it always feels very unbalanced. And I think that's why like not enough people can, can get super into it because like you watch the trailer and he's like fighting like a crawfish, but then like you play the first three hours of the game and like, you're literally like shoving like a baby into a locker that then dies. And it's like incredibly yeah. serious and dramatic. And you're just like, I just don't know how to sit with all this. Yeah. So I think to, to me, it's a couple of things. The first is that, I don't know if the like proportions of serious to goofy are off. I think that the like the strictly like absolute value numbers might be okay. What the game's not great at is like you can you can like act you can be doing a goofy scene, walk ten steps, and be in a super fucking serious scene. And there's not like transitional moments or things built into the game. Again, I think Persona is a good comp where like you do do some silly stuff, but like when you go to something serious and fucked up, there's a change of setting or it's a cut scene yeah. or totally. the visuals are different. And so it, it's, it just it like breaks up the time in a way. It's a little bit more interpretable. Whereas Yakuza is a little more whiplashy. Yeah, it's such a whiplash. Yeah. I mean, I was like, um, I was texting you and I was like, this is the saddest start of a game I've ever seen. Like, I thought this game was funny. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, it, like it has a few funny moments, but it did, took hours to get there. Um, yeah, I think there's that. <laughs> I think it also kind of is it's struggling with like an identity thing, I think. And I don't know. This is a lot of speculation on my end, but the older Yakuza games are sort of more in the mode of like Mafia or even GTA, where it was like a run around shooting, punching real time thing. And it didn't have this like turn based combat system. Mm-hmm. And now it's doing this like much more classic JRPG persona thing. And I think it kind of suffers for that a little bit because I think that the real timiness makes it easier, I think, to do these kind of like running, like you're walking around just transition to a serious moment because everything is in the same kind of like it always there's always that threat or whatever. And the turn basingness like adds this kind of cartoony element and it's kind of goofy and that's like built into the combat and it like changes the pace of the game. And like I like the combat. I think the combat is like an engine and like a thing to do that's fun rocks. to do combat rules but it does also like it is a different thing and the game's like definitely reconciling it to it like trying to figure it out i think there's a part of it that's trying to like 
I don't know if it's trying to like double down its Japanese audience or appeal to a certain type of American audience to like get this thing over because it's always been like a big enough series to keep making games. But you're right that it's been like not a lot of series get to seven games without like at least having some kind of like publicly significant moment, especially seven games that like play in the US, right? Like there's not a lot of games that get to seven in installments mm-hmm. and have like and don't have at least at some point in the run, like maybe not this game right now, but like there's never been a Yakuza game where everyone freaked out and then like was disappointed or whatever the way that there's been like other huge series like that. I w- and I want to speak to what you said about this identity crisis specifically, because I think you're completely right. And like the moment where I like felt the identity crisis like hit the most was when the game started to explain to you why the enemies are turning into like different looking enemies, basically like Everyone is like a Yakuza gang member, but when you get into combat, your main character apparently has a wild imagination that like turns the people into like crazier looking things. Um, And so it was this moment where I was like, oh, it's just all in his head. Like, why don't you just make this real? Like, why don't you just like make this world like that? Like, why is it all in his head? And and like there's no reason for it and it's just like oh so this guy's just like mentally ill and like we're supposed to just like be all along the ride for that like that doesn't feel like a very fun like narrative structure this thing and it's like why can't you just make it real like why can't this world just be a wacky yakuza world where people are walking around with like pool floaties that they're hitting you with and stuff like it's like it felt like a half commit and it's like just commit uh just commit it's weird it's super weird to me because <laughs> as a dude who has suffered with the problem of seeing things that are all in his head, um, it's weird to only have it happen during combat, only have it. It's like it's strange to like totally not make yeah. that integral to the whole character. Yeah. Like, look, I'm in, like I've had treatment shit, so it's not even a problem I've had for years, but like it's still an integral part of who I am and how I think about the world all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy to think that there's this guy who suffers from this problem and it's just like only sometimes it doesn't affect the rest of his life meaningfully. Yeah. So like um, I, I can tell like that should be the story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like it's like if you want to go that direction, but it feels like an afterthought and a weird dodge, which is like what a lot of the tone of the game feels like. Where it's like we could have committed to this fun fantasy thing that we're kind of flirting with, but we're kind of not. And so it leads us in this middle ground of like non-committal energy that like makes it all just feel a little loose. Uh, and like also on top of that it becomes even more confusing because the the guy insists that he's in an RPG and he sees everything like a fantasy world. Okay. But when these Yakuza transform, they transform from one type of guy just to a slightly different type of guy. It's not like they turn into ogres and monsters. It's like they turn into like from a Yakuza guy in a suit to like a weirdo Yakuza guy holding a champagne bottle. And it's like, these aren't transformations. These are largely outfit changes. So it like doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, exactly. Right? So, um, that, well, yeah, it's, it's this thing where it's like, it's, it doesn't, it, they don't, the changes don't like mean anything. At least to me, maybe the game goes on and they become meaningful, but, but like it shows, it shows enemy types is basically what they try to show you there. But they just don't, they don't, they, right, they but, don't turn them into fantasy creatures. They just turn them into different character models of the Yakuza guys. Right. But that's strictly, that, that's strictly like, like mechanical, right? Like it's. Yeah, they, there's no, like metaphorical or like literary function there. It's no. just like they're changing what they like. and so, and again, like to me, it's like it. That's a fine mechanic, and I like shit like that. And I think that that's the story of the game. That's awesome, and I think that you can play with it in a lot of cool ways. But this game, like, does and maybe it will later on. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't finished it yet. But the game hasn't done that t- so far for me. I'm on, I'm a little bit behind you, but I'm I'm relatively close. My chapter four or five. Um, and 
it's like it it is it's a little frustrating because it feels like there's a lot of ideas in this game. It felt like they wanted to like push beyond the basic framework of the Yakuza games. Um, and they sort of half stepped it in this way where it yeah. doesn't feel like a meaningful movement. Yeah. It's like they half stepped away from something that was working for them in the past. So now they're in an area that's not working in the past or the present. This weird fuck up. But like there's parts of the game that I, w- I want to say are good and made me frustrated that like the rest of the game wasn't good enough to keep me playing the rest of it. Cause I'm not, I'm not going to finish this game. Cause just, the story isn't good enough for me to put over a hundred hours into it. Some of my, some of my chat has been telling me that's only like 40 to 50 hours, but I, pe- people always under fucking estimate that shit. And, and maybe I just play slower. Um, yeah. Well, people also love to like turn and burn through games. That I've never understood. Like, yeah, if a game's built to be long, beating it really fast, isn't like exactly you did a cool job. The, it's, it's like all at once, like in one day, like it's like, okay, weird. Uh, but um, yeah, well, it's not, but it's not even just that. It's like in the games, it's like if it's, if you're playing a seventy hour game in fifty hours, it's because you're not doing cool side stuff. True. Uh, and the game and the mini game parts are cool and fun and like silly. In this one, I played a fun movie theater mini game where I had to stay awake because I kept falling asleep because the movie was boring. And there's like fun stuff like that. Um, but uh, the combat in this game is really really fucking cool. It's turn based, but there's a little bit of real time into it where like you can sort of position your specials to like hit multiple people and. And, and that stuff sort of uh, is really fun. You can make different classes for your characters that give them different outfits and different styles of moves. All that stuff is really, really fun and it looks great. And like sometimes you run up to a guy and hit them, your character will just randomly pick up an object in the environment, like a chair or a, or a sign and smash them with that. And just as like an improv attack. And so there's all these little flourishes there where I'm like, man, this combat system is super fun. I wish there was a story that I was invested in to keep doing this for another 100 hours and and that part's really good and the other part is the main character is giving me major eric andre vibes like he he like looks like eric andre he's wearing like a weird suit and he's just like a wild man uh and like kind of a troll in a way that i think is fun yeah and so i'm like this is fun i'm running around in like a weird uh in like a weird town as base a weird type of eric andre and i just wish that they had fully committed to that weird energy and I think they would have had a much more successful game. Yeah, well, I think they have to to be a Yakuza game, not just in the tradition of the games themselves and the tradition of like Yakuza stuff generally, like has to have some of that serious and darker shit in it. But I do think that they like didn't, at least for me so far, like reconcile those things mm-hmm. in a way that because like the great version of this game is able to is able to pull off this balancing act. I don't think uh which I don't think uh, is like crazy or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it does, it is, you know, they, they don't do it at least not as well as I would like them to. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and that's, that's a little bit, like you said, that's a little bit frustrating because there's so much good stuff in there. Yeah. But seriously, folks, we did an L it, this one, this one was an L $60. Don't buy it. Uh, plenty of other better games to, to play right now. Right. You're right. It, it is. It is an L. I'll take the L on this one as well. I like if I got it for if I, even if I got it for 45 bucks and I just played it every so often for a while until I beat it, I think I'd be really into it as a purchase. But at like 60 and trying to play it straight is, I think, 
maybe good for other folks. I know Rory and Tim like it a lot. Maybe we'll hear from them eventually, uh-huh. but I, it's not for me. Hell yeah, folks. Well, we, we agreed on a game. We did it, folks. The first time we've ever agreed on this podcast is incredible. Um, bipartisanship, unity, unity, victory. Uh, folks, Game Boys. Also, twitch.tv slash Uh Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific. Let's go, folks. Join the movement. Hell yeah. Join the movement. Get your medicine. Only thing I got to plug, check out Party World Wrestling stuff. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Party Death Cult. Uh, cult spelled C-V-L-T. Um, we have some new stuff coming soon that is very exciting that I was working on all weekend, uh, which is probably why I sound a little bit tired. Um, so definitely check it out. We have some really cool shit coming. Also, some really cool guests coming on this show hopefully soon. So stay tuned to this. It's very exciting. And also check out Haley on the Memory Static Podcast and on Instagram and YouTube at Eat Every Sound. Yeah. Uh, hold, hold the line, you little freaks. Hold the line.